Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Uh, but this series, uh, we're going to tackle four specific cliches, and honestly, this series could have been 87 weeks long. There are so many cliches sort of floating around out there that we would love to address. We just don't have the time to, and I do want to sort of give you a warning before we jump in uh, today and all the weeks, and that is, number one, uh, these are big uh, ideas that uh, there's no way I could fully say everything there is to say about them in a half-hour message, uh, which is why I'm going to be preaching three hours every week. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, But it just means that you're probably going to finish the message and still have some questions. And our hope is that you take those questions into your small group, your growth group, and sort of talk through those and and look into the resources that we provide there as well. And also, I just want to give you permission to like not agree with everything I say, um, because uh, like I'm well researched and well read, um, but uh, maybe you're not at a place where you're like, yeah, I'm ready to embrace that, or that's what I think yet. And I just want to give you permission to be where you are. Because this is a church where you can come and belong before you believe any of the stuff that we talk about. And uh, just know that no matter what you think about the things we're going to talk about, um, this is your spot and we are happy to have you here today. Um, And today we're going to tackle the first on this list, everything happens for a reason. And man, this is something that we have all heard said probably more times than we can count. Maybe we have found ourselves saying it as well. Um, and the question really is like, uh, you know, is it true and, and where does it come from? And I want to begin just by reading something from the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is what it says. Uh, this is, he says, everything happens for a reason. People change so you can learn to let go. Things go wrong so you can appreciate them when they're right. You believe lies so you eventually learn to trust no one but yourself. And sometimes good things fall apart so better things can fall together. I just remembered, that's not the Apostle Paul. That's Marilyn Monroe. But the reason, the reason I bring this up is because as I was reading this, some of you are like, I don't, it, is it the Apostle But You weren't sure. I could have not done this slide and you would have just been like, wow, that is really, I wish you would have put the reference up there because I don't, but that, you would buy into it, right? And this is why we need to do this series is because in an information age where there are so many people that are like, you know, posting and, you know, reposting and creating uh, content, whether that is quotes or memes or things like that and floating them out on the internet, it's, it can be confusing, right? It, it can be difficult to know, like, wait, is this thing true? And where did it originate from? And is it something worth believing? Because I think what can happen in our day and age is that we find ourselves kind of liking an idea and it pops up and now we have some recognition when it comes to it and we grab hold of it and we rely on it. We start repeating it. We start building entire sections of our life off of this idea because in our minds, it's got to come from God because it sounds spiritual and religious and so it's probably biblical and I've heard Christians say it, so it's got to be what Jesus thinks. And then we have these weird moments, like the one we just had together, right? Where suddenly you realize like, wait a minute, I've been sort of like chasing after this idea as a pillar of my belief system. And this whole time I wasn't following Jesus. I was following Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) 
And maybe that's what you want to follow after, but uh, it's definitely not the thing that we're attempting to do here. And maybe you want to build your life after something deeper and more substantial. Here's something that the, the Apostle Paul really did say, and I'm giving you the reference so you can look it up, because now you're suspicious of everything, right? It's in 1 Thessalonians, it's a letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he says this, he's writing in a, he's giving this whole list of advice to people that are new Christians, and he says, test everything that is said, hold on to what is good. And this is a powerful piece of advice today, but it was even then, right? There were all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of ideas floating around. Paul is writing in like the epicenter of Greek philosophy. And so there's all sorts of theories and ideas and statements and beliefs and stories and, and just sorts of things floating around. And Paul's just like, listen, it, it, just because something is popular or just because it's repeated or just because it's cleverly designed, just because somebody that you like kind of likes that doesn't necessarily mean it's true, it's good, it's godly. And it's healthy for us to actually lean in and, and just call time out and sort of look a little bit deeper into things. And I would say this is true about anything, especially if your reference is just generic, the internet. You know what I mean? Like um, there's a lot of stuff floating around and we have no idea where it's sourced from. But I would say this is especially important when it comes to the things that we think and believe about God because that really is the root of the way that we view the entire world. And what Paul is saying here is that it's healthy to revisit, review, and even revise things that we believe or that we've been told because they may not be right. But I would also argue that the, the power of this phrase really doesn't have anything to do with where it came from. Because most of you are, are just like, I didn't know that that was a famous thing that Marilyn Monroe said. And not necessarily that she originated, but that she definitely popularized it. And you probably didn't know that. But you still heard this thing kicked around and it, and, and, and it seemed like when you heard it that there was credence to it. But I want you to think about when you heard it. Like what was the context? What was going on? Why did someone say it? It was probably in the wake of something horrible that happened, of something disappointing that took place. It was probably somebody that said to you or somebody you know, like I know, listen, I get it. I know you just lost your dream job. I know that the woman that you are in love with just left you for someone else. I, I know that after working so hard and saying no to so many things, you didn't get into the school that you've been killing yourself to try and get into. I understand that like fixing your water heater drained your entire savings account. Now it's broken again. And that's not a fun thing to spend it on. It was supposed to be for a vacation. I get that you like, you turn this page and you're like, I'm a runner now. And you train for this marathon. And then right before the marathon, that was going to be the payoff moment. You broke your ankle and you didn't get to do it. I get that, you know, somebody else that definitely didn't deserve it got the promotion that you thought you were going to get. And I get that one of these things happened to you and that you were bummed. But here is the good news. Everything happens for a reason. That's, that's the context that I got said. And, and before I, I talk about if this is true, I, I want to talk about something that I, I think we have to go through to get there. And that is, there's something about this phrase that makes us want it to be true. And I, I wonder if you've ever sort of heard that and had a desire to lean into it. Because I think that we all have moments where we're just like, I, I don't know if it is true, but I, I want it to be. And I think there are some really um, 
like really clear reasons why we want to believe that everything happens for a reason. I think part of it is because we want to believe that nothing is random because randomness is scary, right? If there is some being that loves me that I can trust that is calling all the shots and everything, uh, you know, is, is going according to some big cosmic plan where every detail is detailed out, then nothing is random. And randomness is freaky, right? You would not go like to Walmart today if they're just like, okay, one in every hundred people is going to die when they walk in the door. It's a surprise. It's a surprise, right? You're just like, I don't want to roll the dice on this one, okay? I don't like that. I, I want to, like, it takes away my sense of, of control, and I don't, I don't like that. We also want to believe that the bad things that happen, they have to be followed by good things because life needs to naturally balance out. You ever found yourself wanting to believe this? Like, oh man, this horrible thing happened, but it's okay. Because this other good thing has to happen. It, it needs to happen. It's obligated to happen, okay? Because life just can't be all one thing. It's got a sort of kind of counterbalance. And so I'm due. The universe owes me, right? And I think the third reason that we want to believe that everything happens for a reason is that we believe that we want to believe that every ending ought to be a happy ending. Right? We're just like, man, who wants to watch them where the ending was like, and then, and then, everyone died. It was horrible. Uh, not going to be a part two to this one. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Nobody wants to read that story or be a part of that. We want to watch things. In fact, we will watch, most of the movies that we want to watch over and over again are movies we, we know the ending. We know it's going to happen. It's like all these bad things happen, and at the very end, everything comes together, and it's going to be a happy ending, and everything's perfect. And so it enables us to sort of suffer through certain things because we know we can guarantee where it's going. And can I just tell you that when I look at this list, I want to believe these things too. Like, I like these ideas. I, I want to be able to, to rely on them and count on them. But just because you want something to be true doesn't make it true. And this is frustrating sometimes because there are a lot of things that I wish were true that are not true. I mean, I, I, I wish that wishing something were true, that I could will it into existence. Because I would love to have the abs of Brad Pitt in Fight Club. But you know what? It's never happened. I want it to be true. It's not. It is not true. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. I've never had them, okay? It's been more like, I, God was like, John Candy, is that what you're going for? And that's just what it, and I was like, I don't, do I have a stutter? I feel like you're not giving me what I wanted. And if I'm honest, you know, there are moments where, you know, I really, there was something about this idea of everything happens for a reason that was very comforting. And there are other times in my life where I found that idea horrifying. I have four sisters. Um, I brought a picture of my sister, Amy. This is her with her son, Aiden, and uh, super adorable. And her birthday was just a few days ago, three days ago. And in fact, um, three years ago, I was getting ready to get on a, a, an airplane. And I got a phone call from my mom that Amy was in a, a horrible car accident where she was driving and her son was with her and he was thrown from the vehicle and he died on impact at the scene. And she was hospitalized. He was four years old. And of course, we drop everything and we, we fly, we drive to the hospital. And I remember sitting in a waiting room and just thinking like, I, what am, I, I don't, 
I'm a pastor. I've read so much. I've prayed. I've debated and thought about theology. Like, and I, I have no, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Because there's nothing that can really make this better. And as I'm sitting in the waiting room, just trying to figure out, like, when I get the green light to go up and see her, like, what to do, what to say, how to comfort her. I noticed that there's this, this other, these other people that I don't know, but they seem to know her. They're sitting across from me in the waiting room, and they're just like, oh, it's so tragic, and they're talking. And then one of them says to the other one, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason. And there's something that created a lot of anger inside me in that moment. And I walked over and I punched it. No, I didn't do that. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I thought about it. But I did confront it. it I, there are certain moments where it's just like that. I can't let that go. And I got up and walked across the waiting room and I just said to them like, hey, you probably don't know me. My name is Adam. I'm Amy's brother. And listen, believe what you want to believe, but don't say that to her. Not today. I know you're trying to be helpful. It's not going to help. And I wonder if you've ever sat in a moment like this where you just thought, like, is this, is this what God does? Like, is this how it works? Does he cause something bad to happen so that something like else that's good will happen as a result of that later? Like, I mean, I wonder if you've ever played this out just with scenarios in your, in your own life or the lives of people that you love. Like, did God cause you to have this horrific drug addiction that almost killed you and ruined your life because he wanted you to later have a good testimony and help other people out of drug addiction? Like, did God cause your wife to have an affair and break your heart and to completely destroy your marriage so that later on you could meet this other woman and then, you know, adopt her children and that would all be great. Did God cause you to, or predestine you to suffer severe physical abuse at the hands of somebody that you knew and loved and trusted because God wanted to give you an experience of being able to practice forgiveness and to teach others to forgive. Is this what God does? I mean, like, did God cause the Holocaust because he was, like, trying to teach certain people a lesson or prove a point of some sort or set something up that was going to happen later? And, like, if you start going down that road, like, what about earthquakes and tsunamis and wildfires? Because it's not difficult to go online and find people who believe that this is the way it works. And it brings up this question of, like, is every horrible thing that happens in life planned by God to help along some hidden good up ahead? And if so, if that's the way that it works, does he just like, does he not care about the collateral damage that his advanced plans are going to like cause in the lives of real people who are going to experience very real pain? Even just thinking about this for a couple of moments, can you, can you, can you sort of see how being convinced of this, that this is who God is and that this is like how God works, that that could take a toll on somebody's faith long-term? Because I think we wouldn't have to brainstorm too hard to think up people who walked away from God and faith and the church because this was their perception of who God was and the way he worked. And in the wake of some sort of pain or tragedy, someone said, 
Everything happens for a reason, which begged the question, God did this to me intentionally? And for some of us, that person that walked away from faith in one of these moments is us. We're just like, no more. Not for me. So why do hurtful things happen? We can't help but ask why. We are, we are creatures obsessed with causality, right? We look at every situation and we're like, this has to have happened for some reason. So what is it? Like, what's the reason? Why did this take place? And the truth is, there are lots of possible reasons for disappointing and destructive things to happen. In fact, there's probably at least six categories that are outlined in Scripture that we could talk about throughout the Old and New Testament. I want to just give you some examples so you can just see what potential causes could be. And the first potential reason that something happens is that maybe God did it, right? And there's evidence of this, right? There's a, there's a moment in Genesis chapter 38 where it just tells us a story about this guy who was like, it just says that he was wicked and evil. It tells us a couple horrible things that he did. And it just says, matter of factly, God was just, God killed him, right? And some of you are like, I've been praying that God would do that to certain people I think are wicked and evil. He's not listening. It's really frustrating, and the thing I would tell you is that these examples are really rare in Scripture, right? And when they do happen, it's not a surprise, right? It wasn't something that took place, and then people afterwards were just like, what, what, what is God trying to tell us? And they weren't sure, and they were guessing, right? It was like a situation in which someone was identified for a specific reason, warned, coached, talked to, tried to be brought along, and then eventually there's a consequence that comes. There's also the possibility that the devil did it. When I was a kid... I mean, I thought this was the reason for everything bad, right? Because that's the way church people were, right? They were just like, I blew out a tire on the way to church today. The devil did it. Oh, that devil. And his, he sneaks onto the freeway and throws tacks. He's like, you're not going to church today, devil. Right, and, and the reason why there's a category for this is because there's some evidence for it, right? There's, there's a moment... Book of Job, right, where uh, this, this Satan or devil figure goes to God and asks for permission to bring some temptation into Job's life. And God gives him permission. This whole narrative sort of plays out. And, and we do see that like, there has to be some sort of permission for something to happen. And God grants it specifically for this one specific person in this one occasion. And yet, it doesn't actually make sense, um, you know, from a theological perspective, for this to be the reason for too many things. Because the devil is not you know, omnipresent. In other words, he's not like God where he can be everywhere at once. And so this means that if the devil did something to you, then like you are somehow high up on whatever list that he is keeping because he was in the one place he could be. He was like, I am going to pop their tire, right? And, and also he doesn't need to do that because uh, they're just nails on the freeway anyway. So he doesn't need to make that happen. It could just happen. Which brings us to the third potential reason, which is that nature did it. And there's an example, there's all sorts of examples in Scripture, but there's one in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus and, and his friends are on a boat and a big storm comes and it's like shaking the boat around and they're all afraid they're going to die. And the reason is not because it was like punishment for Jesus' sin, right? Because Jesus is sinless. So you know the reason why the storm happened in that chapter? Because rain clouds, guys. <laughs> it's like weather is a thing that exists and happens, and has, right? And so, like, sometimes we read into stuff that really is just has to do or is tied to the way that God set the natural world up to work, right? Like, there are certain natural laws that exist 
that God doesn't consistently tamper with. Otherwise, they wouldn't be laws because it would be too inconsistent for us to count on them or rely on them, right? So, like, gravity is a thing. If you jump off a, like, climbed up and jumped off the roof today, you are going to be severely injured. You may die upon landing. And it's not because God wanted you to die. It's because gravity is real, you guys. (laughs) And you have the ability to, to, like, test that theory, right? Also, you know, uh, there's lots of other things that are real. Genetics are real. Like we pass things on to one another from generation to generation, right? We pass on our DNA and certain proclivities, right? Also, like cholesterol is a thing that exists, right? Sometimes we'd be like, God, the devil, they made them have a heart attack. It's like, I don't think it was cheeseburgers. It's just a natural thing <laughs> that happens. I don't know why we need to bring the devil into this, right? Like it was in and out, which is, those are the Christian cheeseburgers. So I don't know. It's just a natural thing. Nobody's trying to get at you. It just happened. Then there's the option that society did it, right? There's, uh, there's this whole conversation in Romans chapter 12 where um, this, this whole idea that like people can get swept up in, in cultural, um, like sort of cultural ways of thinking or uh, patterns of destruction. And it's not that like one person is like, I'm gonna do this thing. It's just sort of like, this is just how we do things in our culture, this is just something that we've accepted as normal. This is just something that we've just said, like, that's cool. And then we just sort of follow along with it, not intending to do something wrong. And then there are consequences from those societal or cultural decisions. And we see this a lot. Like, there are certain customs that, like, get some, get, get some traction. And then later on, people are like, whoa, that's not great. Um, and I didn't even realize I was caught up in it, but I was participating in something that was destructive, there's, there's another option that we find in Scripture, which is that they did it. This is my favorite one, which is you just blame other people, right? They did it. It wasn't me. It wasn't. It's them. They're the one. And one of the first examples of this is Cain and Abel. Right? There's a story in Genesis chapter 4. You have these two brothers, and one is like a little too good at everything, and the other brother is like, I hate you, right? And this whole thing sort of like blows up in their life where the one brother rises up and kills the other brother. And there's no sin in his life. Like, he didn't do anything technically wrong, except that he was maybe a little emotionally stunted, right? Like, uh, maybe, like, if your brother's the jealous type, you don't have to share every win in your life. You know what I mean? Everything's going awesome again today, brother. (laughs) He's going to want to kill you, okay? And it is his fault. It is his issue, okay? Like, maybe you don't get in front of that, but it's not your fault, right? You You didn't sin. You didn't do anything directly wrong. And then there's the potential that I did it. That the reason why disappointment and destruction exists in certain areas of my life is because maybe it's a, a result of like, like some sin patterns in my life where I have this certain habit or I have this certain proclivity that's wreaking havoc in related ways in my life, right? Um, where I haven't prioritized certain things or I haven't paid attention to certain things and it's causing problems. Maybe it's just that like I'm not necessarily doing something that's sinful. I'm just doing things that are stupid. Stupidity has consequences, you guys. Right? I, maybe you've seen this meme floating around on the internet that like everything does happen for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you did a dumb thing. And that could be the case here. And it would be sad to blame that on God. So when I look at this list, I think the same thing that maybe some of you are thinking. Like, wow, this is really helpful. And also not at all. It's both at the same time. Because here's what makes this cliche of everything happens for a reason so complicated. Everything does happen for a reason. 
But that doesn't mean that you can discern the reason or that there's only one reason or that those reasons were designed in advance to teach a single lesson or lead to a specific result. Because when it comes to unwanted outcomes in our lives, being able to identify the potential causes doesn't guarantee or ensure that you'll be able to identify your particular cause. And this sometimes is infuriating. Like, just because we can see this and we can know this doesn't mean we want to accept this because it's not all that satisfying. Like, even if you come to a place where you're like, I may never know the reason why this thing happened. If you could really come to that and like be convinced of that logically, there's still this part of you that's like, but also why? We still want to know. It's the way in which we're made. And I want to show you an example of this from like a really super spiritual person's life. Matthew chapter 11, uh, there's this story that takes place between this guy named John the Baptist and Jesus. <clears throat> and this is how it goes. It says this in John or Matthew chapter 11, verse two. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? So the question I want to ask here when we look at this verse, this first part of this, what is it that John is actually asking? And why is he asking that thing? And I think for this, we need some context. So what you need to know about John the Baptist is John the Baptist was an incredibly good man. He was a brilliant man. He was a godly man. He was also eccentric and had a big mouth, Okay. And this cannot be uh, understated, right? Like he didn't really have a thing called tact. Okay, you know people like this. Don't point to them if they're here. But like people who just kind of like, they just sort of say it. And you're just like, oh, okay. There could be a nicer way to say that thing. But yeah, just say it like that. I guess that's fine. And the reality of it is inside of this story, he was thrown into prison, not because he did anything wrong, but because he made the wrong people mad. Herod is the person that throws him into prison. And Herod has a reputation. He's powerful. He's vengeful. He's unpredictable. There's all these stories in um, Roman history, Greek history, about like all the crazy things that Herod did. He killed most of his wives. He killed a lot of his kids. He murdered anyone that he felt threatened by politically. Even if they weren't an actual threat, if he could convince himself they were a threat, they were done. And the longer that John the Baptist is holed up in this prison, the more he starts to logically come to the conclusion, I am not getting out of here. I think I'm going to die in here. And naturally, he starts questioning his life. Like, is, was my life, what was my life about? Like, I had these thoughts about maybe who Jesus is, and I've sort of made my life about that. And was it, is it, was it a waste? He's panicking. I think it's interesting that although John the Baptist is a prophet, he's deeply spiritual, he's devoted to, and, and, and he trusts in God, he still does the same thing you and I do when we suffer. He's just like, Why? Why is this happening? Like, what does this mean? And God, can you get me out of this thing? Like, please tell me that this really bad thing that is happening to me right now is only happening to set me up for this really good thing that's going to happen to me next. 
It says in the next verse, verse four, that Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And some of you are like, it feels like he didn't directly answer the question. Welcome to Conversations with Jesus. <laughs> Never directly answers the question. And what he's actually doing here is he's alluding to prophecies from um, ancient uh, Jewish literature, Isaiah 35 and 61, about who the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was going to be and how people would identify that person. And John, like all this stuff that Jesus is sort of alluding to in these patched together quotes, the, John would have known them, the people he sent would have known them, they would have studied them, they probably would have memorized them. And Jesus is essentially saying here, tell, go and tell John what you are seeing. Like all the good that is happening that is consistent with what the prophecies say should happen when the Messiah arrives. Just tell him that. And then let him draw his own conclusions about who I am. John, like most Jews, you know, he would have had certain assumptions about how the Messiah should handle a situation like this. And that's part of the reason why he's asking the question. Because if you are the Messiah, if you are God in person, this is not really how I prefer God in person to behave. Because in John's mind, if Jesus was the Messiah, he would seize political power and he would overthrow all the people that are oppressing him currently. And he would get John out of prison and he would validate all of his suffering. And if I'm John, I'm thinking in prison, like I wanna believe that I'm suffering for a good reason. Like maybe I had to be thrown in prison so that it would create an opportunity for Jesus to spring into action and overthrow the government and like begin the revolution and do all of the things that I want done the way I want them done in the world. And Jesus is aware that these assumptions exist in John's mind, which is why he doesn't end what he tells him with the prophecy ends with something else. This is what he says. Verse six, he adds, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What does that mean? This sounds kind of cryptic too. Why, like think about this logically. Like why would someone lose their faith over discovering that the miracle working Jesus is the Messiah? Wouldn't that be something to be excited about? They'd fall away because although Jesus can do miracles, he's letting John know in this moment, I'm not gonna do the miracle you want me to do right now. In fact, odds are you're not gonna survive this. And in fact, the reason you're suffering isn't the reason that you want it to be. It's not that your imprisonment was necessary to trigger a revolution. It's more complex than that and a lot less fun, meaningful, interesting, exciting. It's a combination of the fact that Herod is an insecure narcissist and also you have a really big mouth and, and we're living in a time without due process and there's a lot of political unrest and people are searching for a scapegoat and Herod is gonna make a drunken decision in a few days that, that you know, you don't think clearly when you've been drinking, but like, don't lose heart because I'm still at work. 
if you're John the Baptist, this is not what you want to hear. And, and you know what I've noticed? God rarely responds to our request to remove difficult situations, but he does always answer our prayers to redeem difficult circumstances and situations. And here's where this belief that I have comes from. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And you've probably heard this or a version of this before, right? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. And for a lot of Christians, this is the verse that they point to to say that everything happens for a reason. But that is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying something much deeper and much different than that. What he's actually saying here is that God isn't the cause of everything that happens but he does cause good to grow from everything that happens. And I know some of you are thinking like, oh, okay, it sounds like the same thing. Like, isn't this just semantics? And these are two very different things. They're different in this way. Think about it like this. There's a big difference in saying, Phil helped me rebuild my house after it burnt down. That's very different than Phil lit my house on fire and burnt it down behind my back so that he could help me rebuild it. One of these things makes you not trust Phil. <laughs> because causality is important to us, right? It's, it's, it's important, it's key. You see, according to scripture, while God is directing the whole of human history, he doesn't dictate everything that happens to you personally. And this is sometimes where we can get this, this fearful feeling that God has it in for you because your life is not going the way you want it to. And God is not sitting up in heaven plotting every detail of your life and inflicting pain upon you intentionally so that he can do something else with it later. It's not who we see God to be. In reality, like God has organized the world to work a certain way. He's granted free will to people. And sometimes he intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. And there's not a lot of justification given as to why he does or doesn't. And it's a mystery that we will wrestle with until heaven. I wonder if you've noticed that in the story of John the Baptist, Jesus never answers the question of why. Why is this happening to me? Why won't you just intervene in the way I want you to? And you know, if John needed like a clear answer to why is this happening that he was comfortable with in order to move forward, he never would have moved forward. John actually receives this like partial, not an incomplete answer from Jesus and begins to move forward and, and push people and point people to Jesus until the day that he's beheaded. And I wonder if maybe you're stuck for some of these same reasons if maybe you are having a hard time moving forward in life because you are caught up with this question of why, why, why. It's such a brilliant trap because the answer to why, whatever the thing is that happened to you, is probably layered, very complicated, and mostly unanswerable. And so if you can spend your whole life just obsessing over why, you will never get to the more important question of what now. And I think this is what happens to a lot of us a lot of the time. 
which is why I would encourage you, don't let the puzzles connected to the pain of your past prevent you from doing the right thing right in front of you right now. And for a lot of us, we are in a holding pattern because we want a specific answer to something that is unanswerable this side of heaven. And it's that excuse that we use for not taking the small, intentional action steps that we're called to take in our lives right now. You ever have a clear picture of like what God probably wants you to do in this moment, but you're just not ready to do it because you're like, yeah, yeah, but, 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 but why? And that's why you're stuck. And so if what now is a better question, how do we answer it? Like when, when things don't seem to be going the way you wanted them to or when the world isn't as it should be or when life isn't turning out the way you planned, when you're facing a season of suffering, then, then what? There's this thing that Paul shares in one of his letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, and I, I love this. He says, uh, we think you ought to know. In other words, I just want to tell you about this. We think you ought to know about the trouble we went through. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. And I think it's important to remember that although God doesn't cause everything to happen to teach us a particular lesson, there's always something to learn in the midst of our suffering. And I think one of the biggest things that God leverages suffering in the midst of and on the other side of it to uh, teach us in life or develop in our lives is a deeper connection to trust in and reliance on him. And when we lean into these moments with God, we often find that he often eventually leverages our hurt to help heal other people. You know what's not healing in the moment when somebody's pain is most raw, though? Telling them matter-of-factly, hey, everything happens for a reason. So if we weren't going to do that, what would we do instead? I think this is a great place to start. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It's a piece of advice from the Apostle Paul, no doubt from watching the way Jesus lived. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And here's what I would tell you. When, when people around you are experiencing heartache and disappointment, here's what I would suggest from this passage and from watching the life and example of Jesus. The first thing is to empathize with them. Jesus never leveraged moments of pain in people's lives to give them a theological lecture. It's not in any of the biographies of his life. Instead, he sat with them. He was sensitive to and compassionate with them. He listened to them. He served them. He hurt on their behalf. He didn't ignore or minimize their situation, but he did look for moments to reiterate to them or remind them of who they really are and who God really is. He sat with them and allowed himself to be broken in their presence on their behalf. And he had these moments where he was like, I, I want you to understand, I'm going to be with you through this. I'm broken because you're broken. And also, this one moment does not define you as a person. And you can do this too with the people around you. 
The other thing that I think Jesus does and invites us to do is to empower people in these sorts of moments. You know what's incredible? Nowhere in the life of Jesus is he ever seen using the supernatural power that he mysteriously possesses to punish anyone. It's not in there. He only ever worked to use his abilities to you know, heal people or comfort them or bless them. But his aim wasn't just to do some sort of a miracle and create a spectacle and like give you like a little happy moment. Like Jesus did these things intentionally to help make the person in front of him more whole. He wanted to help them move forward. He's like, I, I, I don't want to just like, you know, give you a happy little moment. I don't want to be the one who just kind of like barely helps you get through this thing. I, I want to help arc a way forward for you so that you can begin to move forward in your life. So if we're all going to make a pact here today, that we're going to stop saying everything happens for a reason to people, and I think we should make that pact, what would we say instead? And I want to just give you an example of something that you could say that I think would be helpful instead of that. And it begins with just saying, I'm sorry. I am so sorry that you are going through this right now. I can only imagine like how hard this is for you. And I got to be honest, I don't know exactly why this is happening, but I do know that God loves you, that he is with and for you. I am confident that your story matters, that your story isn't over. And I want you to know that when you are ready, I'm here to help you move forward. Think about the moments in your life where someone said to you, everything happens for a reason, where, where, where someone said to someone that you loved who maybe even left the faith that everything happens for a reason. Now imagine instead of that hurtful, dismissive moment, instead someone sat with them and with sincerity and genuineness and tears in their eyes relayed this to them or to you. I think it would change everything. I think they would be living a different story. And the reason why I point us to this is because I think this is a picture of who Jesus is and Jesus is a picture of who God is. And we as Christians are to represent Jesus well to the people around us. And that means not dismissing their pain or trying to explain it away or giving them a lecture, but simply sitting with them, empathizing with them and empowering them in due time to move forward step by step. I think we can do this in our world. And I think if we do, it'll make all the difference in the world. And I wanna pray that God would give you the ability, the courage to live this out in your life. Would you bow your heads across this room as we pray? God, thank you so much for the way in which you love us, for the grace you give us, and also the truth you give us access to. And God, I'm so grateful that, um, that you are there for us and with us in the darkest, most painful moments of our lives and that you walk with us through it. 
And I'm grateful that you are not this being who sadistically plays games with humanity, but you sincerely love us all. And God, I'm grateful that you are at the helm of human history. But I pray that you would help me to lean into you, all of us to lean into you, to make peace with the fact that there are some things that are unknowable and to trust you to lead us step by step, day by day, to do the right thing right now that's right in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.